Hello, and my name is Pete Rushmer, and I'm your host today of a Half Dozen Things podcast. A Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success or you're already smashing it but want to continue to level up, we are here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. Just real, raw and frank conversations. My curiosity and impatience in seeking success has encouraged me to create a Half Dozen Things podcast. I designed it to bring you simplicity and discovery back to the forefront of your lives. We are all such busy people, it's easy to overlook the simple things we could be doing to achieve wealth, success and happiness. Hi, I'm so excited to be joined today by Bev Thorogood. She's the founder of Floresco Training and Coaching, an L&D provider specialising in building skills to help develop women in the workplace. Following a 32-year career in the Ministry of Defence, she spent the last 10 years in learning and development and has years of experience training military and civilian personnel in the science of human factors, the discipline of optimising human performance in the workplace, as well as helping to build high-performing teams using the Strength Deployment Inventory to help understand what motivates people and how that impacts their behaviour. She particularly specialises in helping businesses and organisations to support their female workforce through workshops and seminars to raise awareness and break down the taboo of menopause and get the conversation started about this natural phase in a woman's life cycle. Retraining as a nutritionist and health coach and putting her previous skills as a trainer to good use, she set up Foresco Training and Coaching, developing the skill sets of women in the workplace. She's a certified NLP practitioner and a member of the British Menopause Society. She is passionate about helping employers and colleagues to understand the implication of menopause as a workplace issue. Bev is also a co-host with me on the Stronger for Business podcast. I'm really excited to have her join me. Please enjoy the show. Good afternoon, Bev. How are you today? I'm really well, Pete. Really excited to chat to you, actually. This is a, this is a bit different, isn't it, doing it? just as an interview between us because we normally have our own podcast yeah absolutely it's uh, it's a bit it's a bit different especially without dove here as well um but yeah it's absolutely fantastic to have you join me and actually you're the very first woman to join me on a half dozen things i know i've broken the mold a little bit haven't i i don't know how uh, i don't know how i'll go down with your audience because quite a male dominated audience isn't it it is a little bit of a male-dominated audience. However, I think it's very good to make sure that we are diverse and that we are incorporating all different points of view as well. One of the whole goals for the podcast is to challenge thinking and and, and to change perceptions and for people to develop their thinking on things. So, um, And I'm sure 100% that you're going to help us do that today. I'll do my best. To be fair, I've, I've spent a long time working in a very male-dominated um, environment, so yeah, I, I can I can probably hold my own. I think. I reckon. <laughs> I reckon a hundred percent that you can. I reckon a hundred percent. So okay, brilliant. So let's dive in then. Let's dive in. I've got the most diverse range of uh, half dozen things for us to look at. Let's kick it off with the first one around following the evidence. 
Okay, so this this actually came to me a couple of weeks ago because I'm mad on um, sort of TV crime dramas, anything like that. So particularly like sort of Silent Witness and all the forensic stuff. And when they're looking to try and figure out what's going on, they keep, they always say, follow the evidence, you know, don't put emotion into it. Just follow the evidence, be objective and follow the evidence. So it got me thinking about some of the times that we we question ourselves and kind of you've got that old imposter syndrome kicking in and you doubt your abilities and you you worry a lot what people think and I think if you just follow the evidence you can kind of talk yourself around it I remember years ago so I trained as a a fitness instructor in my 20s and I have to tell you that was many many years ago and I went to live in Cyprus for three years and I set up group training uh, sort of group exercise classes in aerobics circuit training step aerobics all that kind of thing you could get a picture in your mind of like Jane Fonda in leg warmers and it was the 90s the early 90s Um, and I set the classes up and I I remember my first class I I did a a, a, you know a fair amount of marketing and in the 90s there was no internet it was posters on walls and that sort of thing and leaflets through doors and I think I had 48 people turn up for my first fitness class and I was buzzing. I came away from it buzzing. And I remember the next week, I think about 40 turned up. And I got back home and I was so down. I was so down. I felt really deflated. And I was focusing on the eight people who didn't come back. And I remember, you know, being really down. And my husband saying to me at the time, yeah, but 40 came back. You think about the percentages, you know, 40 came back. So if you look at the evidence, you know, I was I was focusing on that small percentage that that didn't come back. And I don't know why they didn't come back. Probably, you know, just wasn't for them. But instead of focusing and looking at the evidence and the evidence was actually 40 people found it a, a good enough class to want to come back. So I think if we if we're not careful, we can focus on all the wrong things. And if you just follow the evidence, you can you know you can kind of rationalise what's going on. Uh, so that's sort of a practical example that I was thinking of. But I think it does come down a lot to um, our emotions. You know, maybe we maybe we pass somebody in the street and they snub us, and and we can form an opinion in our head of what's going on. You know, oh, are they? angry at me have I done something to piss them off or whatever and actually if you look at the evidence have you ever done that to them have they ever done that before have you ever you know what's really going on and what's just an assumption in your mind what I do for a living is very very strange compared to your listener audience but one of the the areas that are specializing is helping women going through their menopause transition to adjust to to what's going on and to support businesses to help their their female staff adjust and when it comes to the evidence you know a lot of women struggling through menopause struggle with things like hot flushes and they they get into their head the idea that they're going to be negatively judged because they're having a hot flush they're going to be ridiculed well actually when you look at what's going on often it's it's that's not the truth the evidence doesn't back up their their feelings inside so yeah follow the evidence is just something that I think if we can step back rationalize what's going on look for you know look for the 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 evidence that backs up you know the more positive side of things and rationalize the negatives it just gives us a more positive way to look sort of look forward and move forward I think yeah, I, I, I agree with that 100%. I think it's so easy to get 
caught up and emotionally driven by the the negative, for example, or getting caught up with this whole half empty, half full glass situation. And I think when you're on a string of downward or negative uh, perceptions, I think that then drives further negative viewpoints, doesn't it? Um, I think uh, I think that's massively important. And whilst you say, obviously, the audience is quite male, but actually there's going to be quite a lot of audience members uh, listening who probably are experiencing wives or partners with with uh, sort of menopause uh, challenges too. So I don't suppose telling them to follow the evidence is maybe good advice, though. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, if, it, it, it is really. It, it okay. is good advice because if, you know, if you've lived with somebody maybe for 20 years and certainly they're acting in a different way, then, you know, they, look at the evidence. Have they always flown off the handle? Have they always snapped your head off? Have they always been irrational in the way they think? Maybe they have, but maybe they haven't. And if they haven't, then what's the evidence telling you? Is the evidence telling you that actually maybe something else is going on that you can explore? So no, I would argue they should follow the evidence. Probably avoid the frying pan flying around, but certainly <laughs> follow the evidence. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, brilliant. I, uh, I, I, I do love the analogy. I haven't really thought about it previously around following the evidence. I think I, I often see it along the lines of emotional management or, or even I've seen it approached as like chimp, chimp management based on the mm. chimp paradox. And it's certainly something that I speak to my when when I do training with uh, certainly with driver CPC for example we do talk about chimp management and what have you and something that they understand and engage with but actually the way you framed that with following evidence which I think is is quite a analytical way of, of focusing at, at, at things I think that would actually really suit the audience better so I, I think that's really insightful really really well done thank you yeah, that's um, okay I think as well you know sometimes going back to the whole imposter syndrome we can you can sometimes question your ability. And I can remember, you know, throughout my career having performance interviews and things and always being, almost without fail, being told I was performing, a, you know, an exceptionally good standard at a high standard and I had real potential for advancement. But I actually wasn't particularly ambitious in my previous job. And whilst I did okay, I got to sort of a management position and, and, and always always felt I wanted to do a good job but I think I always held myself back because of the inner voice in me that was telling me that the next that I, I didn't have what it takes to to advance I wasn't smart enough I, I wasn't charismatic enough or whatever those sort of words were going through in my head when actually the evidence was telling me that my boss thought I was good enough my colleagues thought I was good enough you know that there was so much evidence that would have propelled me forward but my inner critic my inner voice didn't follow the evidence it was listening to the emotions and the the limiting beliefs that I had in my head um, and it stopped me really progressing to to where I wanted to be and actually when I gave up my job and as you know I spent 32 years working for the REF and two two and a bit years ago resigned to set up in business on, on my own and whilst I still have those nagging doubts because they're normal, that they, you know those negative voices in the head are actually there to keep us safe and on track. But I, I think if I hadn't learned to kind of follow the evidence, I wouldn't have been able to do what I'm doing. Because when you're in business on your own, and you'll know this, but you have to put yourself out there, and you have to put yourself in front of people that might judge you and criticise you, uh, disagree with you. And it would be very easy to get dragged into the mire of only listening to 
the emotional stuff in your head or you know you went to a networking event and you think you said something stupid and nobody's going to like it because you made a stupid remark well actually the evidence is you spoke to half a dozen people and five out of the six conversations went really well so I think it's about rationalizing um, what's around you and, and only really focusing on the stuff that that has some evidence to to back it up yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm quite interested to ask you, actually, one one of the things I'd, I was quite keen to explore with you was had you had, obviously, menopause is potentially a bit taboo, despite up to 50% of the population going through it at one point or another. And how have you had much criticism? Because it's still it's still classed as quite a niche training area and, and awareness area. Um, and, and certainly, I've had experience myself training mental health, for example, especially with in male-dominated environments around you know negative attitudes towards that. What sort of negative attitudes have you had, and what sort of challenges have you faced whilst starting that business? Brilliant question. Thank you. Things are definitely changing, but I have had a couple of incidences where uh, I, you know, I remember once going to a networking event, and you were actually there, if I remember rightly. And stood up to do my pitch. And it was quite a male-dominated room. It was a big room of people. And when I stood up and said, you know, I'm a menopause awareness trainer, I could literally physically feel the the eyes rolling um, from some of the the, the members of that networking event. Because it... I think sometimes it's seen as, oh, just another woman's issue. Just, you know, get on with it. But when you consider that, you know... Women over 50 are the fastest growing sector of the workplace, of the labour market. We take up a huge amount of space and there's something like four and a half million women in that age bracket in work. So it, it doesn't make sense not to support them because, you know, myself at the age of 52 walked out of a 32 year career because I didn't feel I'd been fully supported or got the little bit of extra support that I needed just to get me through that transition but on the whole if I'm honest most of the companies that I've worked with and I've worked with some big ones bizarrely the Royal Air Force being one of my biggest contracts there's an irony in there somewhere but a lot of the the companies that I've worked with have been very engaged and if I've had men in the room they've often been the most engaged and asked the best questions they're the most interested I say the most interested. There's definitely an interest there. Uh, what what I would say though is I'm not on a I'm not an you know I'm not on an evangelical mission to get everybody pro menopause. And and if there are companies out there that are not forward thinking enough to embrace um, menopause awareness as a as a workplace issue, then I'm not really interested in dragging them forward in the tw- into the 21st century. And if they're dinosaur companies. I'm kind of working on the assumption they'll do what dinosaurs did and they'll die out of their own accord. But there are a lot of very forward-thinking businesses who are recognising that with a few small adaptations, they can really support their female workforce, retain that talent, you know, and that has an impact on the bottom line. If talented women are walking out the door and, you know, it's estimated to cost somewhere between thirty and £40,000 to replace a lost employee, doesn't take a mathematician to figure out that if you've got a lot of women feeling like they're not getting the support and not coping and they're, they're walking out of jobs, you're losing a huge amount of knowledge, skill and talent. So, ooh, that was me off on a bit of a rant, wasn't it? 100%. No, no, no. I think, I think, I think well-deserved as well. And, and just for, from a credibility point of view, you, you've worked with some really 
interesting clients. So are you able to just tell us quickly about those? Yeah, so I've worked with some, you know, a range of different clients. The Air Force, as I say, being one of them. Um, I've done work for Bauer Media, huge, you know, media company in Peterborough. I've worked with Bowdoin Clothing. So in the retail sector, I've done some work with um, solicitors companies, with further education colleges, really literally across the board, a whole range of different sectors. Because at the end of the day, if you've got women in, the empl- in your employ, then it's going to be relevant. You know, and it's interesting, actually, because we have we have fabulous um, maternity policies and procedures in place, uh, which is fabulous. And we should have. But getting pregnant for women is, is normally a choice, whereas menopause isn't a choice. You know, you don't get to choose whether you go through menopause or not. So it, it surprises me a little bit that more companies aren't recognizing and doing something to raise awareness but yeah I have worked with some sort of really really interesting uh, organizations who who are embracing it and I think for me the big one was the Air Force because I kept thinking if if a an organization as male dominated as the Air Force is recognizing the need to to raise awareness about, around menopause then that's got to be a signal to other companies that that this is something they need to be thinking about. Yeah, de- de- definitely, definitely, hundred percent. Okay, brilliant. That's uh, that's first question done then. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, second area which I'm really, really intrigued by um, is be like Barbie. So, yeah. I've no idea where you're going to take this at all, uh, but I'm quite interested to hear okay. what you've got to say, Beth. Okay, it, you know, it's got absolutely nothing to do with trying to to lose weight to the point where you're ridiculously thin and overly tall with with ridiculously long legs. Nothing like that at all. Um, do you remember the, the the song in the? I think again, it was the '90s. Aqua, I'm a Barbie girl. You know what? That's exactly what I thought of when I read it, and um, it's quite interesting because my daughters, one of them, does quite like Barbie, but my my parents are very like, oh, it's it's plastic and sticky and 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 what have you. So yeah, very negative. So okay, I'm well, to working with that plastic bit. So the, the the words of the song were, "I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. Life in plastic. It's fantastic." Uh, what I mean by "be like Barbie" is be plastic. Plastic is moldable, it's pliable. um, And we talk about neuroplasticity and that ability for the brain to be like plastic and evolve and change. So when I'm talking about being like Barbie, what I'm really talking about is recognising that we aren't set in stone, that we can change and we can adapt. Um, And this is really to do a lot with sort of the, the neurolinguistic programming element that that sort of NLP which is about how the brain works um, and how our behavior is linked to the language whether that's sort of auditory language visual language or um, you know um, the words that we use neuroplasticity is about forming new neural pathways in the brain that help us to adapt and change so you know a lot of us think that we are the way we are and that's just the way it is but we're not we can adapt and change and being like Barbie is really about recognizing that everything we think isn't necessarily real it's just the way our brain interprets it so uh, when we're younger our brain is more there's greater plasticity there which is why kids are a bit like sponges aren't they they can take in everything they can learn something 
so easily and and there's a bit of um there's a bit of a myth that you can't teach old dogs new tricks well I tell you I'm an old dog and I've been learning lots of new tricks in the last couple of years and I think it's all to do with continuous learning continuous personal development continuous professional development making sure that you're always learning always using those um, neurons in the brain to just keep everything moving and, and keep learning and it's interesting actually because there's some um, science that shows that the more movement you, you involve in your day so the more active you are that impacts neuroplasticity as well so if you're if you're trying you know listening to podcasts is a great example you can listen to a podcast while you're cycling or on the treadmill or going for a run or a walk then those those neural pathways are forming with movement it's quite interesting yeah, I, 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 I totally agree with that as well. Um, it literally just came up uh, as you mentioned it. I uh, I went for a run recently. I'd had a I'd had a bit of a problem that I was working around in my head, and I just couldn't come up with a solution at all. I was absolutely bombarded with different thought processes and and trying to make that decision. I was really really procrastinating on it, and I was like, right, I'm going for a run. And it, it was kind of against my better judgment because I was like, I've got so much to do. But however, productivity-wise, zero. I was just down to, I was not producing anything because I was so busy procrastinating. And then I go for this run and literally it dawns on me as I go running and everything else tumbles out of my head and I just laser focus on that one issue. And I, I wasn't even consciously, it just sort of popped up as an idea. And I was like, that's what I need. Yeah. <laughs> I I just grabbed it. Yeah, there's an element of sort of pattern interrupt there as well, isn't there? So you're using different parts of the brain when you're sat down focusing on something. You're using one part of the brain. When you st- when you literally get up and move around, a different part of the brain has to be activated. So those neural pathways change. So movement is really is really useful. That in terms of sort of neurolinguistic programming as a model, we 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 talk about the fact that the brain is the brain is so so clever um and it but it will find the path of least resistance which it has to do because if you if you imagine if you had to try and consciously think about absolutely everything that's going on in the day every minute of every day you'd be what well, you'd be exhausted it couldn't happen i think we have something like 60,000 thoughts a minute or something I'm sure that's the wrong number forget that um it might be 60,000 thoughts a day <laughs> i wrote if i remember rightly but our brain does one of three things. It distorts, it deletes, and it generalizes. And it's a good thing that it does. You know, if you had to take in every bit of information, you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be able to, to take it all in. So we tend to generalize things. We, we, we distort information because it, we, we create um, an image of our experience, you know, our map of the world, if you like, the way we see the world, the lens of the world that we look at. We see through our experience, through our knowledge, through the experiences that are the influence, if you like, of other people around us, very strongly um, influenced in childhood. Um, So when we see something happening in the world, we we don't view it. uh, We view it through our lens. It's not necessarily the real the reality of what's happening. So. For example, you and I are both recording this podcast, but we will be having a very, very different experience of it because I'm sat in my home office in in South Lincolnshire and you're sat in a garden in 
Peterborough, I think you are. Yeah, um, I'm so, in Hampton, so, Peterborough, if anyone yeah. wants to come stalk me. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're involved in the same activity, but we are seeing it through completely different lenses. And your experience of this is going to be, the, the words that I use, you're going to interpret those words through your map of the world, and I'm delivering them through my map of the world. So there's always going to be a bit of disparity. Um, and I think if we can understand that our map of the world is only our truth, it's only our beliefs, it's not necessarily what's real in the world, then we can start to potentially challenge the thoughts that we're having. Um, and that comes back to being like Barbie and, and being, being willing and able to adapt our thoughts and maybe challenge some of the beliefs and the thoughts that we have and, and be able to sort of de- develop those different neural pathways. If you think of it like a computer, we we want to really be able to reprogram the software sometimes because not all the programs that run in our brain are helpful. 100 percent 100 percent it's almost when you when you really start to think about nlp and and the, our adaptability and the way we process the world around us i, I my, my poor little brain hasn't got the capacity to cope to be honest <laughs> so I'm, I'm ready to move on to the next one which is the okay. gut knows best because that probably a bit more up my street yeah yeah i'm i you know i think we all, we all have intuition. We all have a good feel for something, but so very often we don't listen to it. And all of the best decisions and all of the worst decisions I've ever, be, I've ever made have been around either listening to my gut or ignoring it. And I think quite often intuition isn't always given credit. You know, I, I used to deliver human factors training, which human factors is about... Um, optimizing human performance in the workplace it's about understanding why humans behave a certain way and the impact that the environment can have on how we on how we perform and how we behave uh, I used to ask you know the, the the delegates in the class you know how confident would you feel bearing in mind I was talking to aircraft engineers and um, ground engineers and air traffic controllers and people like this who you know had pretty responsible jobs um, and I'd ask the question, you know, how confident would you feel to, to be able to turn around to your boss and say, I don't think this is right, but I'm not 100% certain why. I, I used to get a few different answers and some would say, no, no, I, I would never say that. I would have to go and find out why first. Others would be like, yeah, I'd be absolutely totally trust my gut. If something doesn't feel right, I would flag it up. And the next question would be, and how do you think your boss would react would they would they be willing to to listen and stop production on the strength of a gut instinct or or you know would that not happen and it got some interesting responses and i used to share the story of Ayrton Senna the the formula 1 racing driver uh, you know iconic racing driver and they did some analysis of, of a crash or a, a crash he avoided and i can't and my apologies i can't off the top of my head remember which race it was but basically, he was coming into a very sharp bend and one that he would normally take quite quickly. And he would normally have, you know, all eyes on him because he was going into this tricky bend. And he, he, he for some reason, whilst he couldn't see any sort of flags flying to tell him to slow down, he couldn't see any debris or anything from a crash. But something in his gut told him he needed to slow down and take that bend much, much more slowly than he normally would. And when he got round the bend, there'd been a major collision. And had he not slowed down, he'd have ploughed into it. 
And when they were trying to analyze afterwards why he'd slowed down, he couldn't pinpoint it. He couldn't put his finger on it. And they literally went back over video footage of the race over and over again. And it finally clicked. And he said, okay, I've got it. I can see what happened. And what it was, the crowd, instead of looking at him going into this bend that he would have expected, in his peripheral vision, he realized that the crowd were looking towards the crash. And although he couldn't see the crash, his situational awareness, his spatial awareness, his peripheral vision and his intuition was so so acute that that was enough for his gut to say something doesn't feel right, even though he didn't know what it was. And um, I, I suppose, in you know, your gut is your intuition and that intuition comes from your experience, your knowledge. But sometimes I think we, we disregard and, and you know, love and good job, Santa didn't disregard his gut, although sadly he did obviously later on didn't potentially uh, listen to his intuition. But I think because our intuition is based on experience and knowledge and our skills, it's very relevant. We need to listen to it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. So, I, and I, I totally agree. So I'm a big firm believer of gut instinct. And I also think that it's something that has served me very well over time. When something's not felt right, I've uh, acted on it. And I think that I'm one for when something doesn't feel right, I will voice my opinion. I may not fully form why that is, but actually sometimes with a bit of coaching or some a different way of thinking or looking at the problem. Um, you know, I've, I know I've approached you when something's not felt right before and then just by having a conversation can then enlighten us on that so there, there's a reason that my that my gut's saying no but I don't really I, my thinking isn't hasn't got the capacity to be able to fully process it but then by voicing it the opportunity for someone else to have a second point of view and then to discuss it further and sometimes by bouncing those ideas off can can come up with a solution um, but one of the things that I think is really important and it's certainly it's actually covered in a book I'm reading at the moment that actually you can hone that skill as well over time Definitely, yeah. I, and, and I think that people do dampen it and um, I, I think it, there's an element of resilience in there but mo- of very importantly it's about having that eye for realism so what Senna had um, and you, he gave tingles as you were telling that story but what he had was his eyes so laser focused and his concentration so focused on what he was doing he was able to pick up just the slightest thing and I think sometimes Sometimes we can sometimes pick up things that aren't necessarily there. However, I think with development, we can really focus on what's real and what isn't because we tell ourselves stories that aren't real. And if we have the ability to really see through all the BS and all the rubbish and filter everything out and just really see to the crux of the problem, that is something that can be developed, I think, with the right nurturing. Uh, Would you agree with that? Absolutely, 100%. And I think you, you need to really be able to tune in to your body and to tune in to your emotions and to tune in to the feelings and acknowledge them. Don't, don't suppress them. Listen to them and try and figure out what's driving them. So it could be one of two things. And I kind of get what you're saying because you, you really need to listen to what's going on. And from a coaching point of view, when people come to me and they've, they've got a bit of a dilemma, I'll always say, what's your gut telling you? And then we'll discuss what the gut is telling them. And if, it, you know, it might be that actually the gut is 
telling them that what they should be doing is dangerous and um you know they they're going to potentially get hurt in some way so but it, it all it could also be a warning that this isn't the right way to go and i think unless you can tune into the body and what it's telling you it's really hard to differentiate whether there's a, a genuine need to to stop this um, and do something different or whether it's just fear kicking in and and because we all we you know we we do feel fear and that can cause resistance but if it's i think it's really hard to put into words because because it's so in, in you know intuitive and so in, instinctive but understanding the difference between procrastination and not doing something because of fear and understanding that this isn't the right thing to do because it doesn't fit right and generally i think it's a values thing if you've got something in your gut telling you it's the wrong thing it's probably because it goes against your core values whereas if you've just got a bit of resistance because it's a bit you know a bit scary and you might be going out of your comfort zone does it still align with your values yes in which case it's possibly just fear but if it if it really comes down to you know this this is not feeling right and it's not feeling right because it i don't feel it would have i would have integrity with that decision or you know it, it somewhere along the line this isn't gonna going to be the right choice for me to hit my goals or whatever that might be i think you've you've really got to kind of go inwards sit with whatever that feeling is recognize that it's real and and try and determine whether you should follow it or not <laughs> does that make sense yeah definitely definitely i think i think 100 i think it's it's so important to know ourselves and know how we react to stuff and how we think and potentially what our, um you know everyone's got blind spots as well i think the, the the worst people are often the ones who think they know everything and i think as soon as we realize we don't and and that we have weaknesses and blind spots i i certainly have them but you know i i know i know my tendencies and i sometimes stop and when something doesn't feel right and you hit the nail on the head when something doesn't feel right i often tell myself stop procrastinating i tell myself that i'm procrastinating and i know that isn't me i do i move quickly when i make decisions um and and i tend to think fairly sharply and quickly and make a decision and, and often when i'm procrastinating or perceived to be procrastinating it's because something isn't quite right and then i need to think about it and and then i think Pete, you're navel gazing because it's so easy to just write it off as navel gazing if you think that way if that's the way that you you are um and i think there's, there's probably many people who are the opposite way around in that they 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 think long and hard about things and sometimes they go too quickly and maybe it's not right for them so mm -hmm. um it's, it's very important to know yourself so uh yeah fantastic really insightful so joining forces collaboration i'm assuming it join is forces, yeah. yeah join forces so uh, this is kind of a throwback, I suppose, to my my days in the in the working for the Air Force. That you know you've got three separate, probably four if you include the Marines, three or four different forces. But they they each work separately. They each have their own function. But actually, when they go out into into an operational theatre, they join forces and they work together. And the whole is greater than some of their parts. And you'll know from our collaboration with Stronger for Business that I'm a massive fan of collaboration and working together. And that that saying that I that I've just used, the whole being greater than the sum of its parts, I think is a bit of a mantra for me. I'd always worked in an environment where you work together in teams, where you had, you know, you relied on other people around you to get the job done. So it was a bit of a shock to the system, I think, when I 
resigned that role and started in business on my own and suddenly had to be a jack of all trades and not only jack of all trades but I was trying to learn new skills uh, around sales around marketing around tech around all sorts of things that go with being um, a business owner and I think I you know I did it on my own I wasn't even networking for the first six months I, I didn't see the value in that collaboration and joining forces with other people and um, it's actually really only looking back that I realized how important it was while I was working. Um, I don't think I saw it then, but having that six months or so when I was do, trying to do everything on my own, and I say trying because I was failing, if I'm honest. So, I, you know, I, I started networking, started building relationships, started to see where those collaborations um, and connections could benefit and I think that the thing with joining forces and collaborating is it's got to be a bit of give and take. You can't enter a collaboration with the sole purpose of getting out of it something for yourself. It has to be an element of win-win. So the collaboration has to result in something greater than the sum of its parts. I'm starting to sound a little bit like a parrot here, aren't I, We're repeating the same thing. But, you know, we, we when I approached you and Derek about collaborating on Stronger for Business, although we didn't know it was going to be called that at the time. I had no idea really what I wanted what I wanted it to look like. I just knew that I'd found a couple of people that shared similar values and similar goals and drives to me who had a totally different set of skills and um were but they were aligned so and I think that that for me is about you know joining forces is is finding your tribe to use this sort of well hackneyed phrase now find your tribe um and find people that almost sort of fill in the gaps of, of the bits that you don't have because as you said earlier nobody knows everything and whilst I you know I, I went into business and tried to start learning as much as I could for myself and I've I have learned it certainly doesn't mean that I'm good at it and there are people that are better at it and also doing things on my own um, I know my limitations in terms of my behavior preferences and my motivation preferences and as you know I'm a I, I, you know I, I do profiling using SDO and that's really about understanding different motivations and preferences. So I know that I'm not great with detail. I know that I'm not very good at the, the finer detail of a project. I'm a big picture person. I'm an ideas person. So whilst I can have millions of great ideas, I'm actually rubbish at putting them into practice and, and seeing them through. So joining forces with people who have those behaviors that I'm lacking and preferably finding people who are smarter than me as well um, is always helpful because they, they bring me forward so um yeah collaboration is just and, and apart from anything else I'm an extrovert so I like to be around people and it's a lonely place doing it all on your own you know collaborating with people who get you and who you get can can be so it can just drive you forward so much more quickly yeah I think uh, it's it's so difficult being alone and and with your and dealing with your own blind spots and certainly since we've formulated and collaborated on stronger for business it's like the favorite part of my week on a friday when uh, when we all catch up and record the podcast it's 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 so natural and it flows really well and those um those of 
people that listen, uh, if they haven't listened yet, I do recommend having a listen to Stronger for Business, which I co-host with Bev and Dovering. I love it. I love it because it's just so natural. And I think when something feels natural, I think that means that, you know, the gut knows best. And uh, and, and I think, you know, the gut instinct saying that we're on to something which is going to be absolutely brilliant. So, and I totally agree with collaboration. I think there's a lot of, you know, we recorded a whole episode actually on collaboration alone, didn't we? We could go into quite a bit of depth around it, but I think that the, the, the concept, and I know you said you repeated it. Uh, um, however, I think it does hold value that, um, you know, the, the sum is greater than its parts, um, you know, the, the value it can deliver. And I think there's there's great value in, in in sort of collaborating with other people. Certainly, one of the things I've learned in, in the time that I've been working for myself is that what I thought, I thought I was a very productive person. I thought that I could achieve lots and lots of things, but actually you realize that you only have a finite amount of ability to be able to carry out tasks on your own. And you do need to, you know, sometimes by, you can have exponential results by supporting each other and working together. And I think that's, uh, that's really, really important. Yeah. I think the thing it gives me more than anything is um, reassurance. Sometimes we need a bit of reassurance that we're, we're on the right track. Sometimes we need a bit of objectivity. And, and I think when you work collaboratively with other people, they if you've got a real sense of trust among that, that group, and I think for, a, for any collaboration to work well, it, it, there has to be trust, absolute trust. So that reassurance, that objectivity, that sense check that you, you don't get when you when you do things on your own and you get support and, you know, more expansive ideas you share an idea and instead of one head looking at that idea you've got three or however many you know there's three of us in our in our consortium but there's no limit to how many people you can collaborate with so you've got that sort of expansive ideas and you just you know from a practical business point of view you get you, you get exposure to a much broader network and and other people within that collaboration get exposed to your network so it, there's just so many benefits to joining forces but I think the key is to have a clear joint objective you know going back to the analogy that I used with the the joint forces when when the 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 three forces go into theatre together in in whatever way that might look you know that their objective is the same how they how they perform within you know the job that they do within that collaboration may be different but the outcome is the same and I think for me finding Finding collaborations where you have a, a, a very clear and joint goal and you each bring your strengths to the table is, is so powerful. Yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree. So um, on your on your fifth point, keep showing up. This this resonated with me as I as I read it in preparation, and uh, and, and and showing up is quite is well so important, and it, it it's quite poignant for me at the minute. My uh, my mum, I was on the phone phone with my mum the other day, and uh, she was asking about podcasts and the YouTube channel and what have you, and she was like, she said to me, "Doesn't it embarrass you that you've got no views on one of your videos?" It made me want to just press play and walk away and uh, <laughs> it, it was good feedback for me but also at the same time it, uh, it reminded me the importance of showing up you know I'm not going to take that as a, as a criticism <laughs> it's just something that you've got to carry on doing so uh, yeah I'm interested to hear what you've got to say with yeah, uh, keep well, showing up <laughs> that's it is family can be so so to the point can't they you know the only way you can fail at anything is to stop doing it that's not to say that you keep flogging a dead horse if something isn't working one way then maybe change the way you do it but don't give up on the end result don't give up on the goal 
So, you know, there's, there's times exactly like you say, especially if you're starting a, a new social media channel or you're starting a podcast or you're starting a, you know, whatever it might be, you, you, you're not going to get instant success. And if you stop, you're never going to get success. And a, and a great example of this actually is Joe Wicks. You know, whether you love him or hate him, I'm, I'm, I have to say I'm a fan. Um, you know, he just kept showing up. When he started his Instagram account, he didn't have many followers. He just kept going and, and not many people were watching. And over time, you know, he was one of those typical, took him 10 years to be an overnight success. And you've just got to keep pushing and plodding away. And, and especially at the minute, I think one of the things, um, we could not do a whole episode without mentioning the C word, I'm sure. But, you know, throughout the whole covid thing there's been a lot of discussion in, in the sort of the, the local business networks about what what should you be doing and everybody keeps saying just keep showing up you know just yeah all right business might not be great but just keep showing up keep being visible keep being seen because to stop is failure you can't you can't stop however difficult it might be to feel like you want to keep going um, you know, to, to be recording your YouTube videos with nobody watching. But interesting, I was having a, a conversation with a young guy that joins our Strong Up a Business Friday forum. We run um, a sort of an online forum every week for small and micro businesses. And it's basically, it's just a, an opportunity for small business owners. <laughs> I always laugh when I say that because I imagine all these really little, little people running businesses, but small and micro business um, owners to come together and share their sort of thoughts and support and network a bit. But we had one young lad and um, he, he has a YouTube channel and his, one of his best performing videos, he actually recorded 18 months ago and it got nothing for about 15, 16 months. And in the last two months, it skyrocketed. But it skyrocketed not because of the strength of that one video. It's because he was consistent in producing videos all the way through that last sort of 18-month period. So if he'd stopped, he wouldn't have built that momentum. And nobody would have probably ever gone back and, and looked at his, his early videos. So I don't think ever... We just shouldn't ever give up, you know, and I have a, a sign behind me. And I don't, you probably can't see it because it'll be back to front, but it's a, a Martin Luther King quote that says, you don't have to see the whole staircase to take the first step, you know, yeah. just take the first step and keep, keep walking. Definitely. And I think um, it, it's interesting actually, because another, you know, another analogy I like is we, we, we always want the quick route somewhere, don't we? We always want that yeah. overnight success. We always want to get where we're going. Yeah. But if you if you think about it, if you go that route, and, and quite honestly, life doesn't and business doesn't work like that. But imagine if it did. You know, you, you want to get from London to Edinburgh, so you jump on the A1 and you drive straight up there, straight road, boring as hell, the most boring journey in the world. But actually, if you took the, the scenic route and you went wandering and meandering off into the side roads, think how much more interesting that journey would be. Um, it might take longer. Yeah. And you, you know, but you just keep going and you, and you can, that all of the things that you might be missing when you're trying to focus on, just keep going and then it's not happening. So you give up. Whereas yeah. actually just keep meandering whatever way it takes you, but never stop showing up. Definitely. Yeah. And it's, um, it, it's so, it, it's so important. And 
one of the things that I've I've had to shake off. Uh, I've had to shake off some previously held beliefs about how quickly success can happen and how uh, how hard it may be. You know, I've always been used to working hard, but at the same time, I think uh, I think it's particularly challenging if you are if you're particularly say good at school, for example. It's not actually difficult to get good results. I know that probably sounds a little bit wrong, but it the measuring stick is there and you've just got to hit it or go above it. Um, however, I think that doesn't actually prepare you very well for, for life and for getting out to the big, big, big wide world. And I think uh, there's a lot of resilience challenges there and showing up is certainly about resilience. And, uh, and I think it's, so, it's very important. One of the, uh, if you ever came to my house in my ensuite bathroom, when, when I embarked on flagship, uh, Maggie, my wife, she does painting and uh, she hates it. She actually would like to throw it in the bin because she thinks it's awful but she painted me and a lot of people will have seen the pictogram of Berg and you've got success at the top and then underneath you've got yeah, all the late yeah, nights yeah. and everything so she actually painted me that with with all the different you know hard work late nights and all the commitment that would be required to achieve it and uh, and it still sits there and every day when I'm brushing my teeth in the morning and the evening I get to look at that and uh, and realize what it takes to become an overnight success so mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, and actually good. do you know what what happens when you reach the top of that iceberg where do you go from there? Oh, exactly, yeah. So actually, let's, you know, just let's... Enjoy just the keep, journey. Let's enjoy the journey. Absolutely, let's enjoy the journey. Enjoy the and journey. And actually, it does go back to the whole follow your gut thing because I think sometimes we we start and we, we're not sure how to keep showing up. You know, you maybe you're short of ideas for content or you're not entirely sure what direction to go in next. And I think just trust your gut that, you know, it will guide you towards the next thing, whatever it's meant to be for you. But as I said, right at the start of the, this sort of this this half dozen thing, the only way you can fail is if you give up completely. Yeah, so as long as you just keep moving. Let's move on to the final half dozen yes. thing, which is assuming good intent. Okay. So this, you know, goes back to the whole NLP bit about how we generalize and delete and distort in the brain. But we we can make assumptions about another person's behavior. And if we if we always assume good intent, it, it's a much more comfortable place to live. You know, I went back earlier to uh, I, I referred earlier to if somebody you pass somebody in the street and they snub you you know, and they ignore you. We get a choice as to how we interpret that. And it is only an interpretation because we are not in the head of the person who's ignored us. So we don't know what their their intention was. So if we, we, we get a choice, we can either think they're being really rude, how rude, not to speak to me, or we can kind of turn it all about us. What have I done to upset them, you know? Or we can think, oh, that's unusual. That's, you know, that's not the way they would normally be. I wonder what's going on in their world. I wonder if they've got something they're dealing with or I wonder if they're absorbed in something. And we might, it doesn't really matter whether we get it right or wrong because whatever we decide to make an assumption about, it's only our assumption. So if we can assume good intent, it just makes life more comfortable. And I think we're, we never, we're like onions, aren't we? We never... We, we're motivated by something and, and that motivation creates an intention and that intention creates a behavior. So if I behave a certain way, the only thing that you can see is the external behavior that you have no idea of the intent or the motivation behind that. So you, you observe that behavior and through your map of the world, your lens, you make an assumption about why I'm behaving a certain way. But we can make the wrong assumption. 
And if we if we assume bad intent, it can lead to so much sort of angst and it can lead to a lot of ill feeling and breaking down of relationships because we, we've, we've made a, a wrong assumption or we've chosen to make a wrong assumption. And, and a great analogy for this is, you know, Imagine you're driving down the motorway, you're driving down the A1 and you look in your rear view mirror and there's a white van and it's going really quickly and it's weaving in and out of the traffic and it's driving really erratically. You know, most of us, I think if we're honest, would probably think it was a complete, oh, <laughs> need to be a lady here, complete idiot driving go it. it. Go for it, go on, fill your boots, go for it. <laughs> you, you think Tell it was complete you dickhead driving it, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, <laughs> And, and it's an assumption we're making. However, if you then take that same white van, but we stick orange flashing on it and a blue light flashing on the top, and we hear sirens and the, two, the sort of blues and twos going, and we see it in our rear view mirror, all of a sudden we don't think it's a complete idiot driving it because we understand the reason for the erratic driving. We understand the behavior because we know that the intention of that ambulance is probably to try and preserve life. It's either, you know, it's probably going to an RTA or something like that with the intention to, to preserve life. It's, the motivation is, you know, to preserve life. But because we haven't got that, the, the blues and twos to give us that understanding of the intent, we can assume bad intent. We can assume it's just an idiot driving it erratically. And I think sometimes we need to, you know, just not make assumptions about what about the the reason somebody behaves the way they do so you know to to use that same kind of analogy if you if you then change the behavior of that ambulance so now you're following the ambulance and it's doing 30 you know 25 30 miles an hour and it's holding up all the traffic if you know it's an ambulance you probably think okay they've probably got somebody in a neck brace or with a broken back or something and they need to be driving very very carefully the motivation for the the ambulance is the same to preserve life the intention is to preserve life but the behavior is completely different so the behavior is no longer longer erratic driving it's very slow driving so i think if we can look at the behavior of people and not make assumptions about their intent and their motivation, and just assume that there's a good intent behind it, then we're more likely to, first of all, lead a far less complicated life. And it also means that we we maintain a better relationship and we can potentially ask the question, what's going on? You know, going back to the somebody snubbing you in the street, Instead of feeling standoffish and, and not wanting to approach that 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 situation or that behaviour, the next time we say to them, we say, you know, passed you in the street the other day and you you ignored me, which isn't like you. Is there something going on? Is there something I can help with? And I think it just it puts a different slant on things. Definitely, I think um, I think we have we have an ability to give context and put our own context on actions and behaviours, and by doing so, that then creates conflict because. We don't really know the context potentially for, for why that behavior has happened. And I often think that it's a bit like offending people. You know, I, I have uh, ability to control what comes out of my mouth. I haven't got the ability to control how you contextualize that or, you know, if someone's offended, that's their problem. And I think we're as a, as a society, we have some issues around 
people potentially contextualizing things to the point where it inhibits free speech but um, I'm not going to get too much on my soapbox about that but I definitely I, I sort of digress a little bit away but it's so important that when you know it isn't always about us it's so easy to have that mindset that oh, it's about us they've treated us this way they've snubbed us whatever it may be but uh, yeah like you say it's, it's so important to make sure that we understand it's, it's about them it's not about us whatever anyone does it's always about them it's not about us at all yeah it is all, all about you know if you say something and I'm offended by it I've made a choice to, to, to not assume good intent now it could be that what you said was really you know directly abusive towards me and that's slightly different but if you just make a comment that doesn't you know that I find offensive actually I get a choice as, as to whether I'm offended by it or not and a lot you know yes you have a responsibility when you when you say something to to think about what you say before you say it but you can't you you can't possibly know the 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 way that everybody in that sort of within earshot is going to interpret it but actually, if they're offended by it, that's a choice that they've made, not a choice that you've made. Definitely. And I think people have this ability to, if, if they don't assume good intent, they have this ability to be able to go from one conflict to another to another and just waste a load of energy when really they could be just spending that time a bit, you know, positive mm. energy, uh, putting out positive productivity. Well, Bev, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank things. you. It's been, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been so insightful. Thank you so much. Um, Bev, if you're able to just tell my audience a little bit more about where they can find you, a bit about your podcast and and, uh, and then we'll wrap it up. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So um, you can find me on LinkedIn as Bev Thurgood. You'll normally find the word menopause in there somewhere. So that, you know, that'll help guide you. Um, my, my business, if anybody actually wants to look at menopause awareness training for their employees, it's Floresco, uh, florescotraining.co.uk, Floresco. And then Facebook, I, I'm not very active on Facebook, to be honest, but it's Bev Thurgood or Floresco is my business page. And if anybody wants to sort of email me and, and speak to me that way, it's bev at florescotraining.co.uk. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Bev. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's been brilliant. So uh, to our listeners, catch you again soon. Speak soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate your time. Please do follow me at Pete Rushmer on LinkedIn or on Facebook, follow Flagship Training UK. And you can find us on YouTube too at Flagship UK. Flagship UK.